We turn our attention to St. Matthew's Passion, account where we read from chapter 26. Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and declared, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said so, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look now, you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. Then they spit in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while... Those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. A man from Galilee stands in Jerusalem, surrounded by people he knows do not have his best interests in mind. They are a hostile crowd. And they set upon him, peppering him with questions. They accuse him. They, in essence, put him on trial. What will he say? While that's happening out in the courtyard, outside of the high priest's house, a very similar scene is playing out inside. Peter and Jesus, the contrast is is clear from the gospel lessons we've read tonight. As Matthew sets these scenes side by side in his gospel, they are intended to portray to us a contrast These two men lead us to consider 
our own testimony when the world puts us on trial. But let's start with the man inside, first of all. The teacher from Galilee knew this moment was coming. He told his disciples as much in the upper room. It was on his mind as he prayed in Gethsemane. He saw it all drawing near. But then he willingly went out to meet the mob. He knew that it was ordained from before time even began that God would at some point be on trial, stand on trial before the Sanhedrin in the wee hours of that Friday morning. But trial is actually a very generous word for what happened. What's described for us in Scripture would be more accurately called a kangaroo court. A parade of liars took the stand against Jesus. And one after one they told their lies, but they could not agree with each other. They couldn't get their act together and their story straight. But finally, there was an accusation that had some merit from two of them. Paid witnesses who claimed they had heard Jesus say that he could destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Something of a misquote of what Jesus had actually said that the liars didn't understand. And yet Jesus refused to be drawn into their foolishness. He did not answer a word. The high priest asked him if he didn't intend to defend himself in any way. And then the high priest did something that was as illegal in that court as it would be today. As the judge of the hearing, he demanded an answer, an accounting from the one being accused, who had every right to be silent until his accusers were done. And even then, he could simply declined to answer anything that had been said against him. It was for others to prove. But the high priest charged him under oath, and he didn't fail to confess who he was. He was asked if he was the Son of God. He stood firm, calmly, confidently. He confessed the truth. I am. And now we go back outside, and we find Peter, the fisherman from Galilee, who had been warned by Jesus that this moment would come. And Peter, when Jesus warned him about all this, just brushed Jesus' warning aside and insisted that he could never do such a thing. And the pressure starts with the simple servant girl saying, weren't you out there? Weren't you out there in the garden with Jesus? And he says, no and tries to sneak away out to the gate where another servant girl says the same thing. And other bystanders start to question him as well. Aren't you one of them, they say? Your accent gives you away. Peter puts himself under oath and then lies, demanding that curses be called down upon himself as well in insisting that he wasn't. What was Peter afraid of? If we're going to be fair, we can't exaggerate too much and try to create some kind of contrast between Peter and Jesus as Jesus was boldly confessing before powerful, violent men and Peter 
is melting in front of a servant girl. Matthew tells us there were guards throughout the courtyard. Peter had to be very nervous about the idea that if anybody was asking him questions and drawing the attention of the guards so that they got involved in this questioning, it could easily result in his being arrested just like Jesus was. Every voice accusing Peter raised that risk. And that's not nothing. And still, Peter's denial outside that courtroom was false testimony that was just as wicked as any of the lies being told about Jesus inside. And it leads you and me to ask the question of ourselves, what are, what are we afraid of? Because I think sooner or later in our lives, if we're living our Christianity openly for the world to see, there will be moments when we feel as though we're also surrounded by hostile voices questioning feeling cornered by those who would wish to question our connection to Jesus. Perhaps it happens when you're with friends who wonder why you are not willing to do all the things that they do, what everybody else does. And you find excuses that you hope they will accept. Or maybe it's amongst family gathered or out in the neighborhood or in the workplace. You're part of a group that suddenly begins talking someone else down, especially someone that doesn't deserve it. And you know what they're saying isn't true, but instead, instead of defending the innocent, you're, you're looking for the door, hoping you can kind of slide your way out of the room without anybody noticing you've gone. Looking for that chance to slip away. Or maybe it's when someone that you respect starts to ask you why you believe what you believe about Jesus. And their questions are pointed enough that it makes you uncomfortable and you're simply working to try to change the subject as fast as you possibly can. What are we afraid of? Afraid of being considered a bit odd, maybe even weird? Afraid you're going to lose your street cred if you actually have any? I can't imagine that you, at this point in this nation's history, would be concerned about being arrested for your faith the way people are throughout the world and throughout time have had that fear. It's certainly not a fear yet but we melt under far less pressure than Peter felt. But let's be fair about it. The pressure is still real. The fear of losing friendships, being singled out, being looked at strangely or being looked or overlooked for opportunities, looked down on even, These are real fears of real losses. And I'm not asking these questions trying to get you to think that it's time to toughen up and it's not really all that bad because being associated with Jesus can bring real pain to our lives, real jeopardy to our situations. 
But when you start thinking about it, not being associated with Jesus, consider the end of your life. Consider that moment that Jesus talks about in the Gospels. If you have not confessed me before men, I will not acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. Wouldn't that be worse? What's scarier, the thought of suffering for Jesus a little bit now or suffering apart from Jesus, having been denied by Jesus access to his presence for eternity? In a moment of pressure, a moment of discomfort, it might seem like the easier, quicker thing to do, the better off we might be not counted amongst Jesus' disciples, but that certainly won't be the case when he returns on the clouds of heaven in all of his glory. Do you wish you could have seen Jesus' face in that moment described to us when he's brought out of his trial after Peter has denied him the third time and he looks upon Peter just how the historian Luke gives us detail. When the rooster crowed, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. We don't know what look was on Jesus' face. Was it disappointment? Was it sadness? Was it hard to even see his expression through the veil of blood and spit that was likely dripping off of his face at that point? Was it a love? Was it a look of acceptance and forgiveness that Peter knew he didn't deserve. Whatever that look was in the moment, it shook Peter to his core, and and he immediately ran away into the darkness and wept. And I don't need to work that hard to imagine that face, because I know I've seen that face myself. I've seen it from my parents. I've seen it from teachers. I've seen it from others whom I've disappointed in life when I've crumbled under the pressure immediately and buckled to do something that I knew was wrong even though I had been warned about it ahead of time. I've imagined my Savior's face many times showing this expression that he showed to Peter when I have chosen to deny even knowing him. Distancing myself from him because in the moment it wasn't convenient to be considered a disciple by someone. Like Peter, I have every reason to run away and weep myself. But let's not run away in the moment. Let's look at that face. Jesus would have us stay and look at him. Whatever is on that face, whatever that look is, it's calling you and me back to him the same way that it called Peter. Even when you fail to claim Jesus as your Lord, your Savior, he wants to still claim you. He shows you his bruises and his bloodied suffering not to shame you, but to show you how much he loves you, the price he's willing to pay for you, revealing how much you are worth to him, what abuse he absorbs for you. This is the Son of God. This is the one who rules the universe. 
And yet, even though he doesn't have to answer to anyone, as he stands on trial, he chooses. He chooses to suffer, to save you and me. So we stay and we look and we listen to Jesus' testimony about himself. The high priest asks and Jesus answers. Yes, I am the Messiah, he says. That is, he is God's anointed one. That's what Messiah means. It's the same word as the Greek word for Christ. The one chosen to take your place. And he will tell you in the New Testament that you are directly connected to him through your baptism. Directly connected specifically to his resurrection through your baptism into his death. Which means that what he does before the high priest, it all counts for you. His speaking up and defending himself and making his confession is for all the times that you and I have chosen to be silent or actually even denied him or simply tried to sneak away from the moment hoping no one would notice. When it's all said and done, when we see Jesus in that room, he is the perfect self that you and I will never be. He is that perfect one, that perfect human, standing in the breach, substituting himself for us. So keep listening. Just hours away from his humiliation and death, just hours before he will be placed as a dead body in a borrowed grave, he stands before a human court that had no reason to be condemning him or even questioning him. And he tells them not only who he is, but gives them a glimpse of Daniel's prophecy of the Son of Man in all of his glory at the end of time, returning to judge the world. And that one day they would see him with their own eyes in that context. He offers them that prophecy 500 years after it was spoken. And now we're 2,000 years closer to that moment. And he wants you and I to see him in that moment as the one who will come on the clouds of heaven to judge all of humanity, condemning those who have stood against him, but coming to redeem and to save all those who have been faithful, rescuing those who have come to know and to trust him and confess him by his power and grace, who stand with him because the Holy Spirit has convinced them that he is everything that he said he was in that moment. And that's also what I mean when I say, what are we afraid of? Should we be afraid to say that the King of Kings, the master of the universe in this moment and every other moment, the one who controls every last thing for the good of his people, Yes, I'm with him. How could we be embarrassed to admit that? That we love the one who loved us and suffered and died to make us his. Do we have anything to fear? 
the one who is now ruling over all things and promises to come back and take us to be with him. To make things right for us is the one standing in that moment. Maybe part of the challenge is that so often in, in those moments when we decline to acknowledge our, our connection to Christ, we're simply just taken off guard. We're suddenly thrust into the context of feeling like we're on the witness stand and, and others are accusing and others are questioning and we really shouldn't be surprised by that because Jesus has told us, just like he told Peter, he warns us, we will face, we will face tough questions. We will be put on trial in the court of public opinion. We'll be singled out for our connection to Jesus exactly the same way Peter was, and that's a good thing. Consider it, consider it a blessing. Consider it God's grace to be associated with Jesus like that, but also consider it an opportunity. Peter eventually would. Sure, that night when Jesus looked at Peter, he he ran away into the darkness and wept in contrition and repentance. But there would come a new moment. During that time, Jesus was with his disciples after the resurrection, before the ascension, where he took Peter aside and reinstated him as the leader of his disciples and told him, you will feed my sheep and you will feed my lambs. And later, Peter would write letters to some of those sheep. The first of those letters, he wrote to Christians who stood out from the society that was around them. And he notes that there are among them citizens who are honoring their immoral government. There are slaves who are obeying their masters. There are wives who are submitting to their husbands. There are husbands who are taking great care to be considerate of their their wives. Believers were willing to suffer for doing good. And people would ask them, what makes you different? And in that letter, in chapter 5, Peter says so simply, so beautifully, always be prepared to give the reason for the hope that you have in Jesus. I hope that our Christian accent gives us away. I hope people notice that we disciples of Jesus speak differently than the world around us, that we, we look and sound a whole lot like Jesus. Might we be blessed to have people accuse us of being with Jesus. Sometimes that will mean hardship for us. But can you think of any higher honor? That's how the disciples saw it. Remember that occasion in the book of Acts where they actually spoke of the joy of being considered worthy of suffering in the name of Christ? Often it will mean the chance to point others to the same The same loving face that's looked on us with with compassion and mercy and grace. And tell them about this man from Galilee. This son of God who's also a son of man. Who not only confessed himself as the Messiah but then proved it 
in his suffering and his death and his resurrection. Prove that he had come for us and prove that he had the right to promise that he will come again. And that's our testimony to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen.